0: It's this beautiful resolution that there's been this longing, but, you know, the brothers were in the way, and the only way forward seems to have been, at least in this story, to blame the innocent, uh, the one innocent brother, the beloved son of the father, and to allow the father to be bereaved of him for the sake of reconciliation. And so um, I think that the gospel has been proclaimed to us from the beginning, that the whole human enterprise We could say that the gospel was made for us, but I think we were made for the gospel.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast. Thanks. I'm Kent. And I'm Nathan. And we are seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith.
0: Mm -hmm. And we're in a
1: series called According to Scripture, and today we're in Lesson 8. Yes. Entitled Hidden and Harsh. The gospel cuts through our denial By blaming an innocent for our wrongs. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, so there's a gospel statement, right? People who are familiar with the gospel are going to recognize that as like a gospel idea. Yeah. But actually we're in the book of Genesis today. We are. We're looking to find the gospel in scripture, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And we're looking at the life of uh, Joseph today. Yeah. We're going to begin with uh, what, some key words? Mm -hmm. Denial. Denial is the human refusal to admit our wrongs the damage we've done to others, and or the true condition of our character.
0: Self-justification, the tendency to protect our own reputation and image and self-image when confronted with our offenses.
1: Substitution, that's the Christian doctrine of Christ taking our place as offender against God so we can take his place as innocent and accepted.
0: Mm -hmm. Conviction, the opposite of denial, a deep realization of our wrongs and or moral condition.
1: Repentance, Literally, a change of mind. To embrace the implications of our previous way of life and to reverse course. Mm-hmm. So those are key words for today. Remember those words. Now, highlights, key ideas. Jacob continues his familiar pattern of favoritism by offering preferential treatment to his 11th-born son, Joseph. He even goes so far as to make for Joseph an ornate robe as a symbol of his superior standing.
0: Mm-hmm. Joseph's ten brothers come to hate him and eventually sell him into slavery to cover their crime. That They dip Joseph's robe and present it in, uh, to their father, who assumes his son has been killed by a wild animal.
1: Rather than admit what they've done, the brothers allow their father to grieve for Joseph for 22 years. Meanwhile, God causes Joseph to thrive in captivity and makes him governor over Egypt.
0: When Joseph's brothers come to buy grain from him in Egypt, he conceals his identity and carries out a scheme aimed at blaming their one innocent brother, Benjamin, for a crime while allowing them to go free and blameless.
1: Through this ruse, Joseph enables the brothers to admit their guilt and find reconciliation with their past and with him. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of an overview, the key ideas, the highlights of the story.
0: Yep. So, um, just coming up to speed, if you're not super familiar with the Genesis narrative, uh, Jacob has these kids, and we talked about them last time. He has these uh, 11 sons. And Joseph uh, is his youngest son of his favorite wife, Rachel.
1: Rachel's the lady he actually fell in love with. Right. Laban's daughter, Rachel. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, so he has... uh, he has the preference for Joseph, and we see as the curtain kind of opens on Joseph's story, uh, really within a few verses, we get three reasons why his brothers hated him. So his ten older brothers, why they hated him. So,
1: Shall we read it? Yeah. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. Okay, so you said the reasons. Uh, yeah. he's they His father loves him more than them. Yeah, He's brought a bad word about his brothers to his father. He's told on them something. Yep. Yeah. And here's the third reason. Mm-hmm. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk more about uh, that uh, in uh, as we go through the narrative. But yeah, they... They see this this dream and they know what the, what it means, so they don't seem confused by that at all. It's it's kind of given to Joseph in these figures and forms, and yet they're like, "How dare you?" Uh-huh. Yeah, they <laughs> so, they interpret it yeah. right. Yeah, it's not a it's not a hard one. Uh, so Joseph seems to have this problem reading the room. Right, his brothers hate him, and he still he tells him his dream anyway. Yeah, not real popular guy. Um, okay, so Jacob sends the snitch back out to to check in on the brothers later on, right?
1: Yeah, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams.
0: Mm, Yeah, so they discuss this, and they decide, hey, let's Let's kill this guy, right? Um, And there's some back and forth. Uh, Reuben and and Levi kind of stand out, or not Reuben and Levi, Reuben and Judah stand out. Um, Reuben wants to save him uh, altogether and kind of creates this ruse like, well, let's just keep him here in this cistern, you know, and then Reuben was gonna go back and rescue him. And Judah um, decides, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just make some money on this deal. Uh, so Judah had a little bit, his uh, motives were a little bit less pure, but he is advocating for not killing him at least. And so they decide they're going to sell him into slavery to these Midianite traders. Um, but they still need that that last part of their plan. So the first, what they originally thought was, let's kill him, and then we'll tell our father that an animal has, has uh, slaughtered him. And then, uh, and that may, I guess... Uh, it was easier to get away with murder back then, You know, didn't have forensics, uh, there's no CSI, uh, so that was their plan. But since they, they, had, they had found what they thought was a permanent solution, um, they still needed to find a cover story, so they take his robe and they dip it in an animal's blood, and that's I guess what we're going to find out in this cover-up, right?
1: So they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join
0: my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Yeah. So the brothers... Uh, obviously hurt uh, Joseph and what they did but they also hurt dad yeah yeah really seriously right Uh, it's hard to imagine doing Mm -hmm. something worse to somebody than that Mm -hmm. this perpetrating this lie self-interested lie and uh, so there's these uh, everything kind of I guess life goes on and Joseph Rises to power, as you may know from the story, that but it only you know, but he
1: only rises to power through first descending.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to go into what slavery, then prison. Yes. <laughs> very much a downward trajectory. Well, at
1: first is. he actually, for, at first he does rise in power because he becomes um, Potiphar's. Yeah. Right hand man. Yeah. Then Potiphar's wife accuses him falsely. Mm-hmm. Potiphar believes her lie. He gets sent to prison.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, so he's in prison for quite some time Um, and then through a series of events and God reveals the meaning of a dream uh, for Pharaoh and Pharaoh makes him his right hand man. So big kind of this this massive transition, major promotion from, you know, prison trustee to um, second in command over all of Egypt. Kind Mm -hmm. of a big deal. Right. Mm hmm. And uh, part of this dream that the Pharaoh had was that uh, Joseph's interpretation was that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph is put in charge of collecting grain over the seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine. And since uh, Pharaoh had the inside track and other people didn't, Pharaoh's in quite a good position when the years of famine hit. And uh, Joseph is in charge of selling the grain to everybody, and that's kind of where we take up with the Genesis story in Genesis 42.
1: Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Ooh, they bowed down. Yeah. Just like it was foretold. Uh, As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Uh, it's hard, maybe uh, just a cursory reading of this, we don't pick up the irony, you know, especially because this story began back in Genesis 37, and our tension spans are pretty short for the most part. Right. right. We've gotten
1: distracted by Joseph's ordeals in Egypt.
0: Yeah. But uh, if, you, if you do the math, uh, we're told that Joseph was 17 when his brothers betrayed him, and that he was 30 when he entered into service of Pharaoh. So that was seven years. And then there were seven years of famine, right? So that's, um, wait, that's 13 years, right? 13 Mm -hmm. years and then seven years. And then we know that this was two years into the years of famine. Okay. So that brings us to 22 years. 22 years ago. Yeah. That's what we don't really appreciate or understand about this story is that these uh, 10 brothers had lived alongside their father who had remained in mourning for his son day in and day out for 22 years Mm -hmm. if you can imagine that and um oh man i just i just saw a story the other day about some or someone was telling me a story about a pastor who was responsible for killing a small child a 12 year old i know it's kind of maybe brutal thing but but was only discovered 35 years later and this guy had served continued to serve as a pastor you know um for all this time, and mm-hmm. my friend was like, "How, you know, how does somebody go on like that? Mm-hmm. You know, with this these skeletons in his closet for that long, and that kind of just that pall uh, of evil and this dark, dark secret." And it really is a testament to our ability, our capacity for denial, mm-hmm. and. And that's something I, I think that this story is, it really wrestles with and brings to the fore. And it's something that, you know, our capacity for denial is so great that we deny our capacity for denial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for us to imagine that we could live with that kind of a, of a secret and uh, maintain that kind of a cover-up for that long. Um, as we might imagine being in someone else's shoes. And yet I'm sure that everybody has had things that they've done, that they've hidden. And, you know, even as that thing is being revealed or someone asks us point blank or whatever, and we find that we're able to just um, put on a straight face and lie about it or whatever. And and that's one of my major concerns over people who have, left the faith is is they come to critique God and find him morally objectionable especially now but it uh, the I think part of that process that someone goes through as they begin to reason that God is unjust is that they presume that they're that people are good are inherently good and can be trusted to do good Um. And, and I think that it sells us short in terms of our capacity for evil. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a denial of history as people have been able to do, you know, horrific things to one another that we have that capacity to do. Mm-hmm. And especially as groups and as we conspire and we get involved in a mob mentality or something, um, we can really do horrible, horrible things to one another without... Um, really losing a beat. And so this story really highlights that within a family, that that's happening. And, um, I, and I think that one of the things, and one of the things that this is, addresses is our questions for God. You know, we ask God, God, why are you not more obvious? Why Why don't you make yourself known? If you really want us to believe in you, you know, write something on the sky, have... You know, consistent, miraculous events happen in front of everybody. Um, you know, hey, show up for a double-blind quantitative study, you know, and, and confirm these things. Why don't you just give us a basis as rational people to believe in you? Give us something more. Um, and, and that's a major concern that a lot of people have. The other concern that people have is that if God is all-powerful, he certainly can't be good because... Horrible things happen, right? And people suffer. Um, if he's all powerful, he would prevent them. Right, right. And so we we struggle, and that's why I've entitled this story or this message hidden, and, hidden and harsh, because we really see God as hidden and harsh. And I, I don't think this is the definitive answer to everything that we wonder about God, but I think that it is. Um, it is a way that God is is trying to show us a peek behind the veil. So really the Bible doesn't contend for God's legitimacy or anything else. It just takes that for granted that God exists, that he is who he says he is. He's holy. He doesn't owe us any explanations that he's the judge of us. We're not the judge of him. That's all assumed in the Bible. There's not some lengthy, um, the Odyssey or whatever to explain what God's up to in mm-hmm. the Bible. But I do think that God is a storyteller uh, among all the other things he is. And so I think here what we see is God responding to these critiques, if you will, or at least preempting them through a story about somebody. And so that's that's the beauty of this, is that we get this dramatic irony here through Joseph. And Joseph becomes a type for God in that He is in a position of extreme power. We have offended, or they had offended Him as we have offended God, mm-hmm. right? So their lives are in His hands. Mm-hmm. He is in almost unqualified position of power. And um, so. What is his response when the, those who have betrayed him and offended him come in their desperation mm-hmm. as they have maintained a, a level of, of distance from their own offenses? You know, they they haven't really take, oh, taken ownership for what they've done. I mean, mm-hmm. we see that there is a real sickness and a deludedness in these men. hmm Um, We are honest men, they say. Yes, and you can just see the irony of that. Now, you know, Joseph accuses them of being spies, and they're not spies, but they don't say that. They rely on what they believe to be their essential character. Trust me, I'm a man of my word. And people will believe that about themselves no matter how many times they've broken their word. Mm -hmm. If I walk up to a thief... And I say, would you say you're a man of your word? And it's like, hey, I might be a lot of things, but I'm no liar. You know? It's like, <laughs> what you know? And, and I've seen that happen. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in other people, as you know, as I've dealt and tried to minister to those who may be on the margins, people who've had a history, you know, in crime, in crime and criminal behavior. And you ask them, you know, how do you, how do you see yourself? And they say, well, I'm basically a good person, right? And it's just like, yeah, but you, but you held up an old lady with a knife, you know, (laughs) but somebody who did that, you know, they're not like, I'm a monster. I should be put down. They're like, I'm basically a good person. I've just been in bad circumstances. And certainly there are systems and stuff like that, that contribute to um, the bad behavior of people. But uh, we also have this unwillingness to admit the implications of our actions and who and what we are. And Mm -hmm. so what we see in this in they're protesting, we're honest men. It's really the reason, I think, that Joseph doesn't reveal his identity to them. Because they are, in fact, not honest men. And um, that they're, when confronted with, uh, with him in his current state, his exalted state, um, as the ones who had offended him, I mean, what, what would you do? Right. What do you think would happen if he had said, well, look who it is? Yeah. (laughs) Mm hmm. Uh,
1: Well, okay. so they would they would uh, plead for their lives um, that he would spare them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think that would be honest contrition or regret after 22 years of denial? Uh,
1: No, no, it would have been compelled by the threat of destruction they would be pleading for their lives, con- saying they're sorry, saying their sorries, but uh, only because they're afraid he's about to destroy them. Sure,
0: yeah. Now, what if he's extended grace to them in that moment? What if they say, "Oh, you know, have mercy, have mercy on us," and he's like, "All right, guys, I will. You know, you uh, let's just let bygones be bygones." What do you
1: think? <laughs> uh, How would they? Joseph, you're the best. How can we ever repay you? Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll just, um, we'll never do it again.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. We promise. Right. And. Uh, and I think that they would really have come to despise him in a way um, that they. I, I. What happens is when when grace is cheap, uh, we take it for granted. And if it's just a you know, hey, let let's. They would have. They would have never fully understood the weight of of what they had done. I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we're just if we're just let off the hook. And that's what people ask the question, you know, Hey, why go through this whole thing with the cross? Why can't God just forgive us? You know, if he's so merciful and, you know, if you look at uh, say Islam, for instance, that where there's this constant refrain in the Quran, right? That, that uh, Allah is merciful. He is all forgiving. But if you ask any Muslim, you say, are you going to go to paradise when you die? You know, I hope so. I, I, yeah, I, I talked to a guy, he actually spoke of it as being lucky. Right, you know, he wanted to be lucky enough to make it, and 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 so there's this this uncertainty that it's all relative. That that sin and crime are are there's not some sort of a, a need for retribution for what we've done. In that, um, you know, if 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 a Muslim were to, to be sent to the fires that you know are threatened constantly in the Quran, um, that it would only be because Allah is just didn't. He was having a bad day. You know that there's not some sort of a a code, uh, some idea that there's a wrong and that it has to be paid for. But it's just simply, if Allah forgives you, that's His choice. If He condemns you, that's His choice, and you don't know which it's going to be, mm-hmm. right? And and the same with Joseph. That there's not some sort of a, uh, a retributive justice here. In if Joseph just says, guys, it's no big deal. Just go on. If they are not allowed to see, to really confront, and so far we see that they haven't. They haven't confronted the weight of their offense. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been living 22 years minimizing this, somehow rationalizing, justifying what they've done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, the self-preservation has come to the fore, and it this this need to preserve their in their sense of of worth or whatever has created this false narrative we're honest men and i would contend that if joseph were to have said guys it's no big deal let's just move on that they would have continued to believe that they were honest men that this would not have been um a defining moment or pivotal moment for them sure we
1: made a mistake but we're basically good people
0: right yeah so joseph is kind of in a place of either make them pay for their sins so that they can understand that they're not honest men, or forgive them and allow them to continue to believe they're honest men, right. And um, it seems that neither is plausible. And, And I think Joseph's realization, his remembering his dream, it's not so much that it's an I told you so or a confirmation as it is that there is a responsibility on Joseph's part to be the leader of his family. Mm -hmm. And if he's going to lead his family into the promise, right. That they, they need to get this ironed out. Mm -hmm. And so that there, that he begins to take an approach toward them that is designed at, toward redemption. But, we will see it. It's a very confusing, his behavior is very confusing toward them. Mm-hmm. And I've never, I had never really understood this story as I've read it because there's, there's so much that is inconsistent that doesn't track with the way people behave. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, first off, I, I, if it were me, I wouldn't have missed the chance to say, well, look, who's here, you know, look, mm-hmm. look whose dreams came about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that i i just wouldn't have missed that opportunity and yet joseph he he hides his identity and then he puts him through all of this stuff you know he puts him in prison um and t- and tells him hey you know you're gonna stay in my jail until i confirm your story and then he softens and he and he says all right all of you can go but i'm going to keep one of you here and you're going to have to bring me the little brother that you told me because as. You know as they're explaining who they are they say hey we're all sons of one man and they were originally 12 of us but one's at home with our father and the other one is no more they mm-hmm. say um you know so they're still there even as they recount who and what they are there's just no remorse there um and so joseph says well you're going to confirm your story by bringing your little brother here right that's benjamin benjamin right and so they, t- they, send, they He keeps Simeon, and he sends the rest of them back. And, um,
1: Don't come back here unless you have Benjamin with you. Right, yeah.
0: So when he tells them, you got to go back and get Benjamin, then uh, we take up again in Genesis 42.
1: In response, they said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood.
0: Yeah. So, and I I think we have to appreciate that not only are there the human dynamics here, but there's the dynamics toward God. They've done something that uh, really was in opposition to God, because if this dream that Joseph had was of divine origin, and there's no reason to believe that it wasn't, um, then they were really resisting God. Mm-hmm. In, in betraying Joseph mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't like the content of that prophecy. They didn't like what he said. It wasn't so much that they could invalidate the source. They just didn't like its implication. Right. And that's very, it's going to come back up <laughs> as in uh, Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is um, bringing this indictment on Israel for crucifying Christ. And and he says, you're just like your ancestors. They just, you know, they didn't like what they heard, and they did away with the guy who was telling it to them. Mm -hmm. And so these guys are very much a type for all humanity and for Israel at the coming of Christ, that there is this uh, betrayal Mm -hmm. that comes and this fratricide um, that they resorted to rather than accept... um, prophetic word that they didn't like Mm -hmm. and so joseph uh he treats them very harshly sends them back and they they're beginning to i think have this remorse right they're they're saying we we did something very spiritually reckless in this this harm that we committed we were un we, we were uncaring about god's opinion of our behavior and i and i think they're seeing that And and Joseph is orchestrating things in that way so that they will uh, begin to interpret the things that happen as uh, divine retribution, okay? Uh, And so, yeah, uh, he's orchestrated things so that they're beginning to find some regret, right? Um, But... But Joseph, because he
1: cares, because he cares about their spiritual state, right? Well, he wants, he wants he, he's trying to he wants them to come to true repentance, right?
0: And again, I've always had a hard time identifying Joseph because if it was me and I did this to them, I'd probably be off, you know, snickering, you know, in the background mm-hmm. that it this looks like vindictive behavior mm-hmm. to me. Why? Why do this? Why go through this ruse? Why put them through this pain and this suffering? Um, and Joseph knows they're going through it because he can understand what they're saying. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so he's been speaking right. to them in Egyptian, through an interpreter. So he's, he's give, taken them off their guard. Now they can, they're talking to each other unguardedly in front of him, thinking mm-hmm. he can't understand them, right right. And, and so he hears them going through this. He sees the effect of it. And you would think if, he, if he's, you know vindictively, perpetrating this against them, then there must be some sort of sadistic glee right. that he's getting from it. But that's not the case.
1: And, and we know that from the uh, from the text. Yeah, Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes.
0: And yeah. then, <laughs> So there's this, you know, I mean, in the same verse, or, you know, in, in two verses that you see this uh, really cruel behavior, and yet he is quietly, he's secretly weeping mm-hmm. behind the scenes.
1: Later they return, they go home, they need more food, so they have to go back for more, but this time they have to bring Benjamin. Yeah. They bring Benjamin, and we're told, Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out, and controlling himself, said, Serve the food.
0: Yeah, and so not only... I think, does Joseph love his brothers, and has he, has he longed for them, even in this uh, time of separation imposed by them? Um, but I think he had a particular affinity and love for his younger brother, Benjamin. This is his full brother, son of his mother, um, and his younger brother, someone I think he feels a level of responsibility for, um, and so to see him... Uh, I, I think not only does this tell us that Joseph, there's not in Joseph any sort of of hardenedness or bitterness or vindictiveness, but there is a genuine love. But particularly for Benjamin, and you think, well, man, this guy's just so tender toward Benjamin, and surely he's going to reveal himself to him and say, hey, uh, I know you weren't part of this whole thing, and, and I'm just trying to teach the brothers a lesson, but he doesn't really do that um we see uh that there's this um you know that jacob has this particular affinity for benjamin through the through the back you know behind the scenes and and he didn't want to send him so um everything's kind of riding on benjamin you know um Joseph loves him particularly, but Jacob loves him particularly as well and wouldn't even send him, even to the point of uh, writing off Simeon (laughs) rather than risking uh, Benjamin's Mm -hmm. life. So there's this, uh, Joseph is orchestrated really suffering not only in his brothers, but also in his father in requiring that Benjamin come Mm -hmm. before him. Um, and he's, he's pushing uh, on Jacob in, in a significant way. And we'll learn more about that next time, uh, the implications and why Jacob needed to confront this loss. Um, but uh, as it may seem that, you know, he, he did all of this just to see his full brother. It seems that everything Joseph has done from the time the brothers came was to orchestrate the coming of Benjamin before him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's just like, you know, don't come back until Benjamin's standing here, right? Um, but what we find instead, you know, it, rather than this great reunion with Benjamin, we see that Joseph extends his um, severe treatment to Benjamin, not, not just as well, but in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a he, makes,
1: he makes Benjamin out to be a scapegoat.
0: Uh, well, to be a, an offender, to be the uh-huh. one thief in the in the um, in the group.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. He's sending them back home. F- fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the brothers... Are like no way this wouldn't happen. You know we would never do this again. They're counting on this assumption that somebody should trust them because of, of who they are, right? Um, and they're saying if anyone's done this, then we will all become your slaves, and whoever did it will be put to death. And the, the steward says, "Man, you know we don't do things like that. That's just what you dirty uh, Hebrews do. <laughs> you know we we're actually we actually believe in justice here, and so um, we will only punish the one who's taken." The cup, right? Um, and so they go, and they and they go through all the sacks, and they find that the one, that it's in Benjamin's sack. And their reaction
1: at this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, "What is this you have done? Don't you know that I that a man like me can find things out by divination?" What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace.
0: All right. Yeah. And so these brothers, you know, and, and what, I, what I love about this is that there's this attempt to just pay for what they've done, you know, after all these years. Once they finally find remorse, they're just like, let us all become your slaves, you know. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's really common when people really see themselves, that they just think, I just need to pay for this or whatever, uh, but what good does that do? especially if you have this one in power who wants to see redemption and not just retribution. So, it, it, you know, that's the, that's the uh, secret. That's the, uh, I guess, the challenge, if you will, in, in that to help people find this, record, you know, this the remorse and this repentance deeply, but to then allow them to carry on and to, um, to be a part of a renewed relationship. Yeah, after this severe betrayal. And so um, how do you do that? Hmm. And everything Joseph has done, even as he's been weeping in the background and as they've been just in torment, right? Everything he's been has done has, has culminated in this moment where he insists that Benjamin is to blame and the rest must go free. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that hmm. that doesn't make sense from just a purely human standpoint, uh, because Benjamin is the innocent one. He's the only yeah. one that didn't participate. He's the only innocent in brother. Yeah.
1: He's the one who's going to bear the guilt and the punishment. Right. The rest are the guilty ones
0: are going to go free. Yes. It sounds familiar, doesn't right. it? Right. <laughs> yeah. And and he insists that that's the case. You know, he will not accept another deal. Um, And so we see the effect of that, especially on Judah, who becomes kind of the spokesman, even though he's not the eldest, he becomes the spokesman for the group and and leader of the group, Um, most influential, which kind of foreshadows his role as the progenitor of the kingly line. But uh, anyway, he steps up. Mm -hmm. Now,
1: then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father.
0: Right. And so uh, I, I, I this is really, you know, Judah has been living every day for 22 years, maintaining his father's misery. Uh, he really in, in his own self-preservation out of his own self-preservation um, this is a moment uh, where he really sees and, and I think that it's not it's not about him anymore you know he had really chosen himself this cover-up was all about each of them choosing their own well-being um, over their father and over their brother even and now Judah has this moment of real, I think this is real repentance when he's like, I, I would do anything rather than see the, this misery come on my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that's just this Ezekiel talks about that God would, would take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh.
1: Mm-hmm. How as, does that? As happen? a description of, uh, of repentance right. and
0: change. Right. And our sins and our um, attempt to rationalize and justify, every time that happens, our heart becomes harder and more calcified. And it seems to me that if someone were to point out our sin, that our instinct would be to further justify, minimize, rationalize at the expense of our heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and our ability to truly relate to somebody, to empathize with them, to show them compassion and mercy, to alleviate their suffering. And and so when we lose all of that, uh, we've really lost ourselves and our souls. Um, So how do we help people find their way back? It seems, at least from this story, that Joseph as taking up his role as leader of his household, um, orchestrates a way back for his family through this subterfuge, (laughs) this, uh, and this, this victim blaming, uh, kind of a thing, you know, that there is this finding that one innocent person, the beloved son of the father
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and, um, bringing him into the mix And then accusing him, really, of wrong and letting the offenders go free. Something about all of that brought forth this kind of a change in Judah that I would consider a conversion experience for him. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's a future now for Judah. He's certainly not a perfect person. But, uh, you know, he had really orchestrated the, the selling of Joseph into slavery and... He, along with his brothers, had maintained the cover-up, but now that it seems that there's this real repentance that that has been brought forth. And uh, I, I hope everybody can see the connections. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think, you know, this story isn't just told to, as a morality tale, right? This isn't the kind of morality tale you... You tell, you, mm-hmm. you, if you're telling a morality tale, you, what what happens is, is that the brothers undergo some horrific <laughs> consequence mm-hmm. for what they've done. Right. Um, but instead, they're they're let off the hook. And, and then I just let off the hook. Um, they are, you know, that that this really pent up love that Joseph has been holding at bay, you know, has been escaping through these tears but there is this reservoir of longing and love for his brothers, though they betrayed him. Mm-hmm. You know, and remember, God that Joseph is kind of standing in the place of God in this story. Benjamin standing in the place of of uh, Jesus, and you know, obviously these we could see these metaphors or these types in in multiple ways. But for the purposes of this particular arc, that Joseph. I think what we see in Joseph is this divine longing for those who have betrayed him and those who have uh, harmed him. And we don't really see things that way. Uh, I don't think we can actually take something from God. We can't reach him. But I think he's hurt by us nonetheless, you know, by our rejection of him, our choice of gods that we create. And even if you're an atheist, you've created other gods, um, and that these are um, offenses to him and slights of him and, and that they're a betrayal of him. Um, anytime we refuse to be grateful or whatever, that there is this betrayal of him that has come. And, uh, and yet we would minimize that. We would accuse him of wrong, find, a, find some way to make him the offender. And what we see in this story is is a God who is allowing painful things in In the lives of those who betrayed him, all while weeping over his longing for them and the pain that they are suffering really at his hand, but out of a desire for reconciliation. And so we see Joseph as, um, once Judah comes to this place and I and, the reason I know that this is all orchestrated to bring forth this repentance is because the minute Judah does this, Joseph drops the facade and mm-hmm. and everything changes. Mm-hmm. And so...
1: Mm-hmm. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. Goshen means uh, near. Yeah. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him.
0: Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> yeah.
1: You're describing uh, God as yeah. hidden and harsh. Yeah. That's the title, hidden and harsh. Jonah, uh, Joseph takes up this role, and he's, he is, his, his identity is hidden, mm-hmm. and he's harsh with his brothers. And people feel that God is hidden and harsh. Um, these are objections we have toward God, but maybe yeah. God has his
0: reasons for being hidden and he harsh. Does. He does. He's
1: trying to bring us to repentance.
0: He is. Yeah. And so the more we stand uh, aloof and we shake our fists and say, prove yourself to me, um, the farther we are from him, really. Um, and, and Jesus speaks of this. He, you know, he talks about how um, that he's going to be revealed to his disciples as, in the book of John as he's telling them his farewell discourse. And he's saying, you know hey, the world's not going to see me, but you will. You'll know me. You will be one with the Father. You'll be one with me as I am with the Father. And, and that that after this repentance, after we really accept that Jesus died for us, that it wasn't some unfortunate thing that happened to somebody or some fictitious event or something, but once we come to that realization that it was for our sake that he died, then we can find this real repentance, that there is a, a, a breaking of this shell and a removing of this veil that we can come out confess our wrongs, be known as the offenders that we have been, but that's really the only way to be known at all, because that's who and what we are. And and so to come into the light and to be known as we are and yet to be welcomed. Mm-hmm. That there that this entire time that the aloofness is gone and so with it the distance that Joseph has been maintaining and there that, that he indulges now his pent-up longing to just embrace his brothers and to weep over them. And uh, it's such a, a beautiful picture of this longing of God for his estranged children and uh, God's willingness to go through because God is also in, in the place of, of Jacob and that he is the one who's bereaved um, for this one innocent son, <laughs> this one <laughs> innocent child. To, to be blamed um, for, so, you know, God really framed Jesus in a way. And, and so we see um, that that becomes our way to be near him because this is Goshen. God's longing. Yeah. God's longing for humankind is that we would be reconciled to him, we would be near him. But reconciliation is much harder than what we think, you know, um, just as in any other healthy relationship if somebody you know perpetrates some offense against somebody that they're in an intimate relationship with you know they and they just they deny it they won't confess that they did something wrong um, you know let's say that there's a, a married couple and um, one of one of them uh, let's not go so far as to do uh, infidelity but but let's just say that you know let's say the husband is has a porn addiction and he's and what he's doing is really hurting his wife. Right. Now, what's the way forward there? Um, so he's been, you know, uh, indulging it and um, hiding it. And if she asks, he'll lie. And he's, you know, he's erasing his browser history and all of that. But along the way, he's losing so much of his his affinity for his wife his his sense of self he has been split into two people um this kind of public self and this hidden self and so much is lost um there and and let's say that she finally catches him in a way that he can't get away right and and she just really confronts him with it now how does you know how do they go forward and certainly if he says, well, you know, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have been doing that and I'll never do it again. It's hard for her to really accept that, that the, the relationship is damaged because he's maintained this life for so long. Telling her that he hadn't been. I mean, you know, she knew he'd, he'd struggle with it. He said he was done. It's been a couple of years and uh, he's been just getting really good at hiding it. So once he's discovered now, how can she be sure that this moment of of his claiming to have changed, right, is real. Mm -hmm. She can't, right? There's there's certainly going to be a probationary period somehow if this marriage is going to go forward. Um, Or on the other side, he could say, you know, why are you so uptight about this? This is commonplace. It's not like a strange thing. Maybe if you were more attentive, you know, he can blame her. He he can blame shift it. He can minimize what he's done. He can try to normalize it. All of that is going to further calcify his heart toward her. But neither in neither case can the relationship truly, you know, can there be a full, at least immediate reconciliation there, you know. Um, And so, and there's not an easy way forward for, I don't think, for that couple. but all that to say is is that when there, when there is sin involved and there's betrayal and denial, it, it begins to burn those bridges and it closes those doors. Reconciliation becomes a, a great challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in the same way, as God is all-knowing and, and he sees the secret sins and the private betrayals that we all commit against him, on a daily basis and he knows our heart he knows our capacity for self-denial i mean for denial of this not self-denial but just you know justification minimizing what we've done um, trying to put on a public face our hypocrisy i mean i think that's one reason that jesus was so offended by the hypocrisy that he saw in the pharisees um, was because he can see through it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. that much harder when you realize that someone's putting on a ruse mm-hmm. and, and they're just putting forth their best face for you and for the others around you. It's harder to tolerate. Um, so how do we find this way forward, right? Um, and what I see in the gospel is, is God's genius in, in really bringing forth uh, this means to recovering this relationship with him, something that he is longing for, and will go to great lengths to achieve um, and And so I, I think that this story you know finds this this resolution in such a beautiful way in that his great desire has been not just to get these guys to apologize, right um, but to have them with him and that's a whole other thing you know you might say well i forgive you but i can't be around you and Mm -hmm. you know that's that's doesn't meet the divine um standard the relationship is actually restored that's
1: the divine standard god is looking for a restored relationship but that can't happen unless they come to terms honestly with who they are what they've done
0: right yeah and And so yeah so that's this this it's this beautiful resolution that there's been this longing, but, you know, the brothers were in the way and the only way forward seems to have been, at least in this story, to blame the innocent, uh, the one innocent brother, the beloved son of the father and to allow the father to be bereaved of him for the sake of reconciliation. And so, um, I think that the gospel has been proclaimed to us from the beginning that the whole human enterprise, we could say that the gospel was made for us, but I think we were made for the gospel. Um, and so God has been telling this, and in the in the book of Romans, Romans chapter one, verses one through five, Paul's preamble to his book talks about that he's the servant um, of the gospel of God, and which is strikes me as an interesting phrase. It's only used a couple of other times in the New Testament. You know, we, we would say, oh, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That it's the story about Jesus. And so it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul says it's the gospel of God. Well, what does that mean if gospel means good news, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if I say to you, I have good news, right? Well, there's some things you would assume about that. One is it's something good that happened to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's it's my good news and um, and it's good news that I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. So it's my good news in that I'm I'm the bearer of it and it is good for me. Um, And so and it and if I tell you I have good news, then it's probably good for you, too. You will you will also think it's good Mm -hmm. news. It's not just that I save 15 percent of my car insurance Mm -hmm. because that's not (laughs) that's not something that was worth telling you, you know. Uh, uh, So. If I say I have good news, that then immediately what you hear is, I think it's good. It's good for you. You'll celebrate it with me, and I'm going to tell it to you, mm-hmm. right? So when Paul says it's the gospel of God, I think it's all about that. That for that it's good for God. That God is excited about it. He, it's something that He wants us to know, mm-hmm. but it's also something that God Himself has been proclaiming. Mm-hmm. And so Paul goes on to say, to say that has been proclaimed in the prophets that is now being revealed in, in his son, right? Mm-hmm. So God has been telling the gospel from day one, mm-hmm. right? Through, through these prophetic utterances, the gospel has been laden in that, and he has been telling it to us. And now in Jesus, we see what was in shadow and silhouette and form is now in technicolor, vivid technicolor, uh, not the dream (laughs) coat.
1: And this is how the gospel is according to scripture.
0: It is. It is. Yeah. And and what, what does it tell us? Right. Mm -hmm. I really do think it it should remind us that it should give us ammunition. You know, we, I think we should tell the story to people who have problems with God and say, I don't have all the answers. I have a story.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, you don't have to accept it, but there's, that's the story. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it should, it should help us to take a, a more realistic assessment of our nature, to be aware of our tendencies to do wrong and to hide it, the dangers of that to our souls, um, the importance of what Jesus has done and how it was all orchestrated by God. You know, It's just like uh, these brothers tried to stop these dreams from coming true and actually fulfilled them through Mm -hmm. their attempts Mm -hmm. and so there's this sovereignty to god of god that is affirmed again and again in scripture Mm -hmm. that and and it ought to reassure us that when evil people do evil things that even that can be used by god it doesn't mean that it's not evil it doesn't mean that they aren't culpable but it does mean that god is not surprised by it and that he's fully capable of incorporating those decisions into his great plan and already has from his eternal vista and uh it tells us that even as even if we feel that God is distant, even if we go through difficult times, that He has never stopped longing for us and, and cherishing us, um, and He is seeking to bring us closer through whatever other kinds of trials we might go through, or whatever. But there is a real longing for this this concord <laughs> to have with us. Mm. So.
1: Thanks, everyone, for being with us for a full hour. Boom. Yeah. And if you've liked, if you if got questions, if you'd uh, like to continue the discussion by email, you can send us a message, discussion at recoverfaith.org. If you've got some questions, maybe we can follow up in uh, subsequent episodes with your questions. We'll see you next time.